Welcome to the My Bonus Money podcast, where I help teachers find financial independence. Doesn't that sound crazy? Yes, it does, but it's possible. And I love to interview people who are doing just that. And today I have someone like that, Jennifer Sullivan. She's an executive functioning coach and author based in Southeastern Connecticut. She's the founder of Fast Forward College Coaching and offers customized college support for diverse learners and their parents as they prepare for the transition to and through college. Did you need a coach when you were in college? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I'm sure lots of people could benefit from that. She speaks nationally to high schools, educators, and parent groups about differences between disability support in high school and college, executive functioning, success in college, and the parent perspective of the college transition. She's the author of the book, Sharing the Transition to College, Words of Advice for Diverse Learners and Their Families, and Sharing the Transition to College Workbook. Jen, welcome to My Bonus Money. So happy to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Now, we didn't end up talking in the podcast about your ebook. So tell us about that real quick before we get too far in. Thank you. It's available on Kindle right now, and it's an innovative way to reach those gamers in your high schools or in your own family. It's a way to engage students who play video games and to explain to them differences between high school and college to get them really thinking about college, but using video game examples. Yeah, very cool. So it's called College is a Video Game Press Play. Press um, Play, that's right. Yeah, I like it. Very good. So uh, what what did you take away from this episode that you think is valuable for listeners? Well, I really liked the part of the podcast when we were talking about our writing process. And I really liked that you and I had different parts of the writing process Um things that we found important to each of us, you know, in the way that we learn, in the way that we write. And I think that's really important for anyone who's considering, you know, writing a book is not to necessarily do what everyone else has done. Find what works for you, your own writing style, what works for your schedule, your work life, um, to do what works for you. And that's how you're going to be successful. Yeah, I thought that was that was really good also, um, because I've I've spent a lot of money to pay people to help me be better at so many things. And what I have found is that whenever I try to do exactly what they say, then I fail <laughs> or I don't do as well as I as I could, uh, at least I believe. And when I make it my own thing and do my own thing that that works for me, then I find a lot more success in that. And, you know, I, I think that that's an important thing for people to recognize that we're sharing these stories, not to say this is how to do it, but to say it's possible and stop being afraid and start doing something. I love that. That's your, is that your tagline of your podcast? No. <laughs> it is but... possible. Stop being afraid and start doing. Yeah, but there it should go. be, right? <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Started today, right now. Yeah. So um, so one of the things that we hint at a little bit is your one-on-one -on -one coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about what your one-on-one -on -one coaching looks like, how much you charge for it, things like that? Yeah. Um, so right now, I mean, that's kind of part of my platform that I think is most successful. I mean, that's really what I'm making my full-time business on is coaching. Um, you know, the, certainly the book and workbook are pieces of the platform, um, but coaching, you know, my and part-time coaches work with students around the country. So we work virtually with new college students, current co college students, and also struggling college students um, to help them with time management, organization, avoid procrastination. 
you know, give those technology tools, those motivation tools to help them be successful in college. Educators are educators at heart. And if we then transition to a business, I say I am a an educator who's running a business, not a business person who happens to be an educator. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, so my my fees are on a sliding scale. So I have never turned a student away um, because of their inability to pay. Uh, so that, I think that's so important to call out because we we're here talking about money. We want to make money. There's no shame in that. But we can also make money by serving people and allowing them to pay what is possible. And depending on what you're doing, you know that that can be different. Um, and and as people are thinking about this and thinking about what that would look like for them, they need to think through those things of what they're going to do and how they're going to have people uh, pay them and and ask for money for their services. And before we get to that interview, I do just want to say, um, Jen replied to an email that I sent about this podcast and said, I'd love to share what I'm doing. And so I thank you, Jen, for your willingness to put yourself out there, share what you're doing. And uh, also want to encourage anybody else who's listening, if you feel like you want to share your story as well, uh, I'm looking for people who are just starting out and have no idea what they're doing or just trying to figure things out. And I'm looking for people who are 20 years down the road and know exactly what they're doing and have everything dialed in perfectly and everybody in between. Uh, so that's that's our purpose here, and I want to help with that. So uh, here is my interview with Jen Sullivan. All right, so Jen, tell us about what you were doing four years ago when you started doing this side hustle stuff, your, your bonus money. What were you doing? So I've always been an educator. Uh, I've been an educator for 20 years, um, always worked in higher ed. Um, after higher ed, I wanted to explore the K through 12 experience. So I was working for a regional education service center, um, local to me, and I was supporting students in a classroom, doing a lot of things. Uh, but one of the things I was doing was supporting students in a high school classroom, helping them get ready for college. And I was doing you know, other things as well, um, working on social media, you know, website, um, connecting families to resources in our community, writing grants. Um, it was a great a, a place to work. It gave me a lot of opportunities to hone a lot of different skills. But while I was doing that, you know, my passion has always been helping students and families in their pathway to college and specifically diverse learners. So that was always something that I wanted to do um, even outside of my full-time job as an educator. Yeah. So here's something that's really interesting to me. As we talk about these bonus money opportunities, one, one thing that I talk to people a lot about is niching down and being really specific on who it is that you're serving. And if if you're doing something where you're like providing a service, you know, and that's that's what we're talking about here, because um, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've written books and now you're speaking and all that kind of stuff. And so um, so with this, how did you how did you decide that was your niche that you wanted to focus on? That's a great question. I think two I think two avenues. Um really kind of converged for me. I think the first was, um, I, you know, I just felt kind of an inner passion, you know, just that, that pulling kind of that feeling in your gut that this is something that I'm drawn to. Um, but then secondly, I think kind of the, you know, the universe, you know, families and opportunities came to me, 
um, before this K through 12 position where I had left a position in higher ed and some families contacted me after I left and said, will you continue working with our students? You know, will you continue kind of mentoring them and coaching them, even though I had left that as my full-time position? So I think yeah. both of those things, my inner desire to do this along with opportunities that were presented to me said, hey, I think this is something I should pursue. So this is what you were doing in higher ed is helping kids transition, Correct. right? Yes. So you were doing your job that you were being paid for and we're doing it well. And then you left and people said, Hey, that's great. Can you do this more with us and continue with us? Um, that that's a really good insight. Um, did this ever feel like it was hard or difficult for you to do this work? Um, well, always, I think, I think there are always things that are challenging. <laughs> How much time do you have? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I, yes, I think the yes. way what I mean by that, Jen, is did you feel like this was um like it was difficult to learn how to care about these families and help them through this process? Or did that part of it come very naturally to you? That part came very naturally. Yeah. Okay. That part came uh, very naturally. Yep. Yeah. So when when people are just trying to decide, like uh, a lot of people talk to me because I have podcasts about starting a podcast, and they're like, do I really love this thing? And and for me, this was a natural thing because I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. I love learning about them. And it was there were hard parts about starting a podcast that I've solved and helped people in my podcast network now start their own podcast. And it's really, to me, it's very simple at this point, but it's still challenging for other people. And a lot of people, as they're trying to figure it out, think they need to do something outside of what they're already interested in or doing well at or whatever. And the reality is most of the time you can just go deeper in your skills, which it sounds like that's exactly what you did. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm trying to remember uh, a Maya Angelou quote right now, and I can't remember it word for word, but it's basically like um, the world needs more people to come alive by doing the things that you're passionate about. Exactly what the point that you just made, you don't need to seek out something else that isn't naturally part of your personality, part of your character, you know, part of your value set um, to take something that you do really well already and something, I know it sounds cliche, but something that doesn't feel like work and that's the thing to pursue. Yeah, and I think that that is important because um, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, it is not all rainbows and butterflies and easy and, and perfect. It There is hard work in it, which is why my question a minute ago was misleading. Um, but making it something that doesn't feel like work, like when I sit down for a podcast interview, I'm just excited and I feel good. And every time I finish, I'm like, man, that was the best interview I've ever done. And <laughs> and that's the kind of feeling that you want to have. Um, my wife actually asked me just the other day, she said, what is it that makes you feel fulfilled? And when you, what are you doing when you feel like this is what God put me here to do? Like, yes. what are you yes. doing when you feel that way? And how do you yes. respond to that kind of a, an approach? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, especially like you mentioned when we we're going to talk about, you know, writing books, what you write about needs to be that thing that's going to motivate you and carry you through when you're in the middle of the process and 
you know, and it becomes monotonous, you know, just like anything <laughs> that you do for a long time that you need to put hard work in, you know, what is that topic? What is that issue that you're going to want to sit at that computer and write about you know, when you have a free minute, um, you know, late at night, early in the morning when the kids are sleeping? What is that thing that you can talk about forever and that inspires you? Um, because when things get tough, which they will, um, you know, that thing will carry you through route to the end to have this great finished product. Yeah. Um, so you, you wrote, um, the book sharing the transition to college, uh, while you were at working at this high school, is that right? Correct. Yep. And, and so what did that look like from a time and effort perspective as it related to your job and how much time did you spend doing it? How did you, how let's start there. Like, what was the time commitment that you were looking at? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I, I had had the ideas kind of initially and had started writing them down, you know, just in a Google doc, kind of a list form um, while I was at my previous positions, you know, working in higher ed. Um, so it was just a list at that point um, when, you know, when I was working you know, in the high school, it kind of coincided with it was a little bit before you know the pandemic had started. So having extra time from the pandemic um, just allowed me the space, I guess, and the room to do more writing. Uh, my writing usually happened in the evening. So it happened after my kids went to bed, um, maybe sometimes in the morning, you know, before they woke up and probably consistently, you know, I mean, I had some spurts where I wrote and then didn't write, but usually, you know, every day it might've taken an hour or two hours every night. Um, but you need to, when you have that, um, once you kind of set the intention <laughs> and say, I'm going to write a book, um, it's, it's always there. And so whether it's every day or even if you skip a day, always coming back to it. And for me, that happened to be, you know, in the evenings, I would say to get really specific <laughs> from nine to 11 at night is when I would write. Yeah. So I, it, I'm glad you you brought that up because sometimes it is a everyday thing. And there are a lot of authors who are like, you've got to write every single day. And the reality is, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think you do have to write every single yeah, day, yeah. but yeah. it sure helps you get through if you do. And so I've, um, my process has become yeah. that I think about it a lot before I write it. And then I do writing retreats where I take two or three days and I just write everything that I can. And then I go back and do it again as needed to continue working on the book. And for me, that works well because I can really get in the zone and be thinking about the book. And that helps when I come back day after day, I find that I struggle with that. And so for me, like I, I don't try to write the book over time anymore. I try to do research, collect notes, you know, take notes and stuff. And then I put it all together at the end. And, and that for me has worked out well in the three books that I've written. And one of them I wrote from idea to being done was in a month in 2013 in June or July. Cause it was the only month I had off of work. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to do this. And so I just made it happen. And, you know, in the middle of doing all the stuff with my kids and everything, but, um, but that uh, recognizing how you're going to be most effective at that is is really important. And you've got to, 
um, know what's going to work for you and not think that just because someone else is saying this is what you have to do, you've got to make it your own for sure. I agree 100 110%. All right. Um, yeah. So the the next thing that I want to talk about is what is the success been from it? So now you're doing uh, consulting, speaking full time, uh, but you weren't then. And so what is what is the sex success look like? Like as far as how many books have you sold, for example? That's a great question. Uh, and I don't have an exact number. Uh, I've been very fortunate where um, an organization um, you know, that I've partnered with has bought a couple of large numbers of books at a time. Mm -hmm. um, That's bonus. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know exactly, but what I can tell you is, you know, that it does, you know, for myself, that it comes in spurts, um, kind of the, the audience that I'm writing for, you know, sharing the transition to college. Uh, there are times of the, the yearly cycle that are more popular, you know, for mm -hmm. selling books than others. Um, so I have to be okay with, you know, and I, and I think most authors do as well. You know, there's going to be months where you don't have any sales. And then there's going to be some months where you see five books or 10 books or maybe 20 books. Um, and, and to be okay with that, because, you know, I, I've just kind of adapted the mindset, you know, it's an evolving process and I didn't necessarily write the books to get thousands of book sales. <laughs> you know, yeah. I wrote them as a kind of, a, what do they call it? A passion project, <laughs> you know, to get my, my words and my thoughts out there for others, you know, who can use them. Yeah. And this is a really important thing to point out that, you and unless you are hitting it really big and selling, you know, a hundred thousand copies of your book a year, you're not really going to make all that much money from them. Right. And the way that I talk about it is that my books are a three dimensional, bigger business card. And that yeah. tells, you know, this physical thing that I can send to someone or give to someone tells them more about who I am, what I believe, so that we can then work more together later. And that's really what the point is. How do you respond to that? Exactly. Yeah. Again, I, I completely agree with you. I think the books are uh, another maybe vehicle kind of of my platform, like you said, of who I am, of what I believe of the way I work with students and families. Um, it's one piece of what I know. Um, it's not the entirety of who I am and all of my experience. Um, and conversations that we might have. So it's one piece. Um, and I think it's a, it's a piece that can connect me to other educators, to other families and other students. So in a way, a book is kind of like an invitation for someone to pick up and to read and to know more about me. And like you mentioned, the gift that I, I believe, you know, that I've been given to mm -hmm. talk to families and students you know, about the transition to college. Yeah, I... I like that perspective a lot because what you're saying is that the book is not the be all and end all. And I feel like every single educator wants to write a book and because they read a lot of them, they, they look up to people who write books. And I feel like almost every educator wants to do that. And I think it's important to, to set some parameters for what success looks like before you do that. Um, what parameters have you set? Did you set before or have you set since that say that that writing the book is a success? And then I'll share my, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I think my answer when I wrote my first book is different than since, you know, the books yeah. and the ebook that I've written since. 
um, you know, I didn't know what to expect the first time when I wrote a book. You know, I felt like, you know, if I didn't sell a lot of books on day one, you know, the day that it was released and published on Amazon, um, you know, I wanted hundreds and thousands of people <laughs> to read it and to buy it. And those numbers, you know, indicated, you know, how successful I was as an author. Um, you know, for my my workbook, uh, I, for me, the buildup was more important. That I enjoyed the buildup more. Um, you know, having it written and, and those final pieces of, you know, finishing a cover and then proofreading and giving it to, you know, beta readers so I could get their feedback and then revising again and then, you know, putting the word out there and getting others excited. Okay, we have 30 days until it's released and then 20 and then 10. I enjoyed the process a lot more, mm -hmm. um, you know, after or in the second um, time that I, you know, published rather than the first. So I think my definitions of success were different. The first time it was based on numbers. And then my second time was just based on really being in the moment and just releasing, you know, a workbook again. Um, and that was enjoyable regardless of how many I've sold. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I love that perspective because you're being, I think, very mature about what success and um, and fame looks like, and you, you want to sell a million copies because it will help a million people, not because you'll become rich from it. And, and I think that that's important what you, so, uh, my, my goals have changed as well for my first book. It was just, I want to be able to prove to myself that I can actually do this. Yeah, my first book is terrible. It was called Paperless Principle. I am not proud of it at all. And it's on iTunes, uh, in the iTunes bookstore, if you want to get it digital only. But I have not updated it in years. And it was just something where I was like, I need to do, I need to challenge myself more and do yeah. more, which is crazy to think because I feel like I'm always doing plenty. But that's just <laughs> my own personal weakness. So for the book that I'm writing right now, um, I actually started the podcast Resilient Schools to be the foundation for it because I knew that I want to write a book around trauma, but I wasn't sure when I would be ready yet. And so what I'm doing with this podcast is I am using the podcast to help uh, guide me as I'm researching the book. So I have all this outline, I have all these different things started, and the podcast is really helping me find the right people to talk to share their stories, and then be able to put it into the book. And really the purpose of that book is to give uh, teachers and principals a, a guidebook, an implementation guide that they can use to start like implementing things right away. And it's designed to be a school-wide thing. And so I'm specifically avoiding getting like, here's what you can do in your classroom if your district's not doing this, because I know that that doesn't work. And because I've been a principal and helped schools do that, I know what things are and aren't going to work. And so I don't have to waste time trying to say, this is what needs to happen. I say, if you want this to be successful, these are the non-negotiables that have to be in place. And because I also have this different view of when it has to be completed, it could take me five years and I would be okay with it. I hope it doesn't, but it could, and I would be okay with it because I want it to be the book that people go to and say, I want to make my school more accepting, uh, more unified. This is the book that I want to grab. And so like things change and they, they do change and it's good to have that uh, perspective. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if that's important when you're talking to 
to educators or anyone who is thinking about the idea of writing a book is talking about a timeline, right? And having an idea at the onset, you know, here's my timeline. Um, and I think there are, there are definite benefits and sometimes it can work to set a timeline, you know, like you mentioned for yourself, you know, um, if there's a particular month, you know, that works great for yourself, your schedule, your family, and you're able to complete a project in that time, you know, that's great. That's excellent. Um, other times I think writing can be an evolving process and um, kind of accepting, right. And giving yourself permission to say, I don't know what the timeline for this project is and I'm going, I'll know it when I get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will recognize yeah. it when I get there, when I feel like I've done enough research, when I feel like I've talked to you know all of the individuals that, that have really informed what I'm going to write about, then I will know when this project is finished. Um, I think, I think that's something that can be hard. It was hard for me in the beginning um, was not wanting to rush, you know, writing a book just because I, I thought I could do it in a couple of weeks, you know? Um, and so being patient and saying you may, things may come up in your work life that make writing the book, you know, needing to slow down. Things may come up in your family life, um, you know, that may not give you as much time as you had hoped. Um, but being flexible and patient and saying, I may not know how long this process is going to take um, and being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you hinted at something that I want to dive a little bit more into. Um, can you talk about your mindset that had to change in order for you to go from being an employee to being a self-employed person? What, what did you have to change to, to make that switch? And if you can, which I know is hard, can you trace it back to, something that happened where you said, this is what I really need to do. Wow. You're asking the tough questions. <laughs> That's why this podcast is so good. You stopped me in my tracks right there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, you know, I think a couple of things kind of happened at the same time. Uh, so, you know, I can share, you know, personally, um, you know, so, you know, some things happened in the last couple of years where it was important for me to, you know, to be at home or to be flexible you know, with my family. You know, my family had some needs where I needed to, you know, to be able to, you know, to pick up and go to different appointments or go to, you know, my daughter's schools if I needed to. So that was one impetus for me to, you know, to leave a structured nine to five position. Mm -hmm. Um but I think also, I think my confidence started growing as I started working with, you know, some more of these uh, college students, you know, outside of my job. Um, I started building some confidence. You know, I started seeing that, you know, who I am outside of my nine to five job. Um, I started to really believe it, you know, to believe those things that that were my, my skills. And just to kind of, I can't point to one particular moment. But, you know, having that switch in my mind that says, hey, I think I can do this full time. <laughs> I think I can, I can write a book and write something that's valuable and that people will want to read and that will bring value, you know, to families and students. And so I think as my confidence started growing and, you know, my home life necessitated me having more flexibility, I think those two things kind of brought me to a point where I said, let's take the leap. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, I... Yeah. So that, that talks a lot about the, um, the mindset stuff that I talked about in episode six of this podcast, where 
um, the, the need to see yourself as someone outside of your nine to five is, is so important and so challenging for educators, especially because we put our whole lives into, to this work and it's really tough to pull away and say, I'm someone besides a teacher or a principal or a guidance counselor or whatever it is that you're doing. It's really hard to say I have value outside of that because so much of our identity is tied up in that. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think I, I think just because this particular job, I was using some different skills. So I was, you know, nine to five. So I was able to see, you know, my value is in this really niche area. Um, I think it would have been hard if I had been doing what I was doing part-time, if I had been doing it (laughs) full-time, you know, I I think I would have kept doing that full-time. I thank this other nine to five position for showing me a different set of skills that I really enjoy. And I, and I think I'm good at doing, but it wasn't the whole, you know, it it didn't fill me completely. And so what I was doing part-time, I found filled me more um, and in a way than the nine to five could. Um, And yeah, just taking that leap. And it is a leap (laughs) when you say I'm going to publish this book and put my name on it and I'm going to make a podcast, right? Just like you're doing, or I'm going to make a video and put my face out there for others, or I'm going to create a website with my vision and my mission and who I am. Um, That takes a lot of courage (laughs) and I'm still working on that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's it's such a cool, it's such a cool experience though. So I'm so glad you're, you have this podcast um, and talking realistically to others about, you know, the possibility of doing that themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, so the last the section that I want to talk about of of our conversation, and we may we may want to talk more in the future again. But uh, will you talk about the the speaking aspect and the how easy is it to get speaking gigs now that you've written a book and like now you wrote a book, you must have people knocking down your door saying, "Come speak to us about this." Is that is that how that's going for you? Uh, wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think again, the book is giving me a platform to connect, um, not always connect in speaking. Uh, sometimes it's connecting, you know, in a consulting, you know, role or connecting with, you know, one-on-one coaching, which is what I'm kind of doing primarily, you know, right now. Um, so it's definitely a way to connect, but there's a, a lot of hustle behind that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot that, you know, that people don't see. Um, that, you know, when we talk about, you know, accomplishments and opportunities, those things don't just fall into your lap. At least they don't for me. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of hustle and, you know, and emails and phone calls and outreach and um, letting people know about your books, right? And because otherwise they just sit on a shelf, you know, you need to let people know about the great information that's in there. And then that can lead to speaking opportunities or can lead to other kinds of partnerships. Um, and, you know, and one thing that I, you know, I really believe, you know, about life is that the opportunities you and I talking right now in this podcast, you know, it certainly has value for what it is right now, but we never know what it could lead to six months from now or a year from now or two years from now. 
Um, and I find that's really true with, you know, kind of going from being an educator to writing a book or to doing other things um, is to really take every opportunity. Every opportunity with every person is valuable um, and you don't know where that might lead down the road. Yeah, I, that is so true because um, I I think of several situations in my life where some some connection happened and then years down the road it, it, that would come back around and there would be this amazing opportunity and i'm i'm very specifically saying not necessarily financially but a great opportunity to work with someone or connect with someone i think one of the most elated i've ever been was when i got seth godin to be on my transformative principle podcast that was huge for me this principle in a little island town in alaska and he was willing to come on and talk to me. And for me, he was someone who was so out of reach, so far above where I was that I just didn't even think that it was possible. But having a little bit of confidence and having a little bit of belief in myself made it so that I thought, okay, I can, I can do this. And now like, I'm, I'm not afraid to ask anybody to be on my podcast because I can just ask them and they can say, no, it's not a big deal. But those things really matter. And you do have to be talking about what you're doing. You do have to share what you're doing. And it can be uncomfortable sometime, sometimes. What is the mindset that you need to have to be comfortable sharing your work? Because often I hear people say that it feels like I'm bragging about myself or I'm 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 just promoting myself all the time. What is what is the mindset that you have to have to do that effectively, Jen? Yeah. Well, I think honestly, you know, I still struggle with that. Um, I think you really just have to not care. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> you really have to say, all right, I'm going to approach this person, right? That I think my perception is this person is so beyond me, right? So much more successful than me, uh, seems so much more confident than me. And you just have to, you know, kind of silence, you know, those voices in your mind that say you're not good enough, or they're never going to talk to you, or they're not going to ignore your email. So what? So what if they ignore my email, right? For every email that gets ignored, maybe I get that yes, that can lead to a great opportunity. So uh, maybe to be shameless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be shameless. Yeah, well, I, I would add the other thing to that is that um, people are are selfish and not thinking about anyone but themselves. And in order for them to think about you, you need to tell them that you exist and there's nothing wrong with that. And you're like, we've all had situations where we like something and then life happened and we didn't get back to doing that thing that we wanted to person we want to talk to or anything like that. And you have to recognize that people's lives are busy. Doesn't really matter. They um, they're not going to remember you all the time. They're not, you're not their first thought. Everything else is their first thought. And so for you to be able to say, Hey, can we, uh, can we talk about this? And can you be on my podcast? Can you help me do research for my book? Anything like whatever it is, can I come speak to your school? Whatever. Like you've got to be having those conversations, getting and being the one to put the invitation out there. Yeah, I agree with you. But I think that is really hard for educators, right? Because we care so much about others. Um, we're really in tune with what others are feeling and what they're saying or what they might think, right? So we may not think as much about ourselves in being confident and saying, well, I have a need. I have a great idea. I have yeah. a book. I think this would be a great collaboration. And I'm going to ask, uh, like you said, let someone know that I'm here, right, to take up space, 
Yeah. Very good. Well, Jen, this has been awesome. Um, I appreciate your time being here and thanks so much for being part of my bonus money. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.